Oh, he has the Norwegian blue. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 1st of November. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Later in the episode, I'll be looking into how a political spat in Norway could jeopardise the wider energy transition. Just a reminder before we get into the news, we asked a question on Monday about whether the European Union could improve its headline 2050 net zero target. The polls are still running, you can find the link to them in the show notes. Please do vote if you can, uh, as we'll be discussing the results in Friday's episode. Now let's take a look at the stories making headlines around the world. First up, uh, the US government announced $1.3 billion in funding for three power transmission projects that will run across state lines. Pylons and cables will increase grid capacity between Nevada and Utah, Arizona and New Mexico, and New Hampshire and Vermont. An in-depth study published at the same time shows that interregional transmission has has to double by 2035. Another round of funding worth $1 billion is scheduled for the first half of 2024. If that has whetted your appetite to learn more about why grids are such hot property at the moment, then check out our recent episode of The Jolt, linked in the show notes. Panama will hold a referendum on the 17th of December on whether a controversial mining contract with a Canadian firm should be ripped up, the Central American nation's president has announced. Thousands of people have taken to the streets in protest against the contract, which grants Canada's first quantum mining company 20 years of exclusive rights to operate an open-cast copper mine. Panama would stand to earn $375 million every year in income from the deal, but protesters are against the agreement, citing its devastating environmental impact and what they consider to be bad terms of the agreement. President Laurentio Cortizo last week issued a decree banning all new mining projects, but the law will not apply to this project. The December vote's result will be binding. Indonesia, the world's ninth biggest emitter of greenhouse gases, has unveiled plans to cut carbon emissions from power generation to 250 million tonnes under its Just Transition Energy Partnership with G7 countries. That is part of a bid to unlock up to $20 billion in support for its green transition. Emissions are currently expected to top 350 million tonnes by the end of the decade if further measures are not taken. Indonesia will also aim to increase renewable energy to 44% under its plan. The Just Transition Partnership, the biggest of its kind, hopes to call on $10 billion in public money and $10 billion in private capital. Around $150 million of that will be distributed in grants, with the rest likely to be dispersed as below-market-rate concessional loans. Ukraine could be gearing up to store gas reserves for the European Union, as storage capacity nears its limit in the 27-member bloc of countries. Last winter, the problem was not enough gas to deal with shortages, but this winter it might be too much of a good thing for the EU. The initial storage target for November was 90%, but that has reportedly already hit 99%. Ukraine hosts the continent's largest storage tanks, 
situated in the west of the country far from the front line with Russia. Cheap rates and no customs duties make it an attractive option and it is being widely explored. EU countries are also turning to floating LNG tankers to store their reserves. Whether this will reduce or increase gas market volatility in the coming months is a question we will soon know the answer to. Here's one for the nerdiest energy fans among you out there. The EU has published the updated Renewable Energy Directive in its official journal. This means that in about 20 days, it will become law. That is obviously a big deal for policymakers and politicians having just spent the last year arguing over how a clean energy rule should be reformed. The headline target to emerge from the update was a 42.5% renewables target that needs to be hit by 2030. An optional top up to 45% is also included, but what that actually means in practice is anybody's guess. If you'd like to pour over the finer details, and there are pages and pages of them, then check the show notes for a link. In Germany, an offshore wind farm has signed what has been called a groundbreaking power purchase agreement with a green hydrogen production plant. Under the terms of the first-of-its-kind deal, the wind farm will sell 62.5% of its electricity output to the hydrogen facility, while still benefiting from government renewable subsidies. The PPA could act as a template for future projects, as EU rules governing green hydrogen production standards kick in, and renewable subsidies gradually start to phase out in step with lower costs. One to watch, I reckon. Uh, Stay tuned next week for the latest episode of What Matters, a special live edition that will delve further into the interesting issue of PPAs. Staying with hydrogen, a new study has looked into building a hydrogen pipeline between the Persian Gulf and Europe. According to the study, the pipe would run from Qatar through Saudi Arabia and Egypt before crossing the Mediterranean and making landfall on the Balkan Peninsula. The authors claim that the project is feasible and that 2.5 million tonnes of green and carbon-captured powered blue hydrogen could be transported every year. In terms of costs, They estimate 1.2 euros per kilo of hydrogen for transport and an additional price of 2.7 euros per kilo starting in the 2030s. The study is linked in the show notes so you can judge for yourself whether this has game changer or white elephant written all over it. Israel, despite being otherwise engaged in Gaza as part of its ongoing military operations, has just issued 12 offshore oil and gas permits to six international energy companies, including Italy's Eni, Azerbaijan's Sokar, and BP. Exploration licenses will allow these companies to search for fossil fuels among Israel's pre-existing oil and gas fields. That will likely be welcome news for European countries, which has looked to nations like Israel to help replace Russian fossil fuel imports. Permits don't mean prizes, though, as there is no guarantee that those firms will actually find any fuel. Casual reminder that scientific consensus and the United Nations are categorical in saying that new oil and gas is not compatible with our global climate goals. That's it for today's news updates. Uh, Now let's take a closer look at the story of the moment. Norway is an energy superpower, boasting immense offshore fossil fuel reserves and massive hydropower capacity. On climate, it is perhaps the most paradoxical nation in the world, leading the way on clean energy and green transport, while at the same time exporting millions of tonnes of carbon dioxide in oil and gas shipments. Politically, it is also strange, 
100% European but not part of the EU, for a variety of rather boring reasons we won't bother getting into. Norway is though part of the European economic area, which kind of does mean it is in the EU, although not really. That half-in, half-out status has created a rather serious problem for the Norwegians. The EU has a bunch of different relationships with non-members. Trade deals are one form of partnership, and depending on their terms, third parties might have to stick to some of the EU's rules in order to import their goods and services. Other arrangements such as customs area and single market access deals are also impose a certain degree of rule taking. Then there is the European economic area, which includes all the EU members, plus Iceland, tiny Liechtenstein, and Norway. EEA countries have to abide by most EU laws related to the mighty single market, including freedom of movement. Most importantly for this particular episode of the Jolt though, Norway also has to stick to the bloc's impressive compendium of energy legislation. That is causing big headaches at home. A potentially damaging political spat is brewing in Norway, as the ruling coalition risks splitting over the issue of EU energy law. A centre-left party is threatening to quit if a big package of rules, including renewables and energy efficiency targets, is transposed into Norway's national legislation. That would bring down the government if the centre party makes good on its threats. It all revolves around a perceived loss of sovereignty, as some political leaders think Norway will have less power to govern its own energy market. They also fear it will increase energy prices. This issue has been brewing for a number of years, so I turned to Katsper Tsuletsky, at the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs to learn more about it. This debate has been going on for many years. So when the third energy package uh, first appeared, um, the Norwegians noticed that third energy package introduced the ACER. So that's the Agency for the Cooperation of Energy Regulators. And they realized, so the Norwegian policymakers realized that this also applies to Norway, but it might potentially mean that Norway, even though it's not an EU member state, is actually ceding some sort of sovereignty over energy regulation to a body which is not, well, directly elected and where Norway didn't necessarily have a say. So it wasn't sitting at the negotiating table when it was decided. And this was a major controversy, especially around, I would say, 2015 that started at that time. And since then, all the Eurosceptics in Norway have been uh, really trying to amplify this, this message that this is not democratic, this is something that was done against their will, and this is something which is illegal, because if Norway is supposed to cede some of its sovereignty, then this has to be decided by the Norwegian parliament with a larger two-thirds majority, whereas this was actually decided with a normal uh, majority of uh, you know 50% plus one. And actually, yesterday, the Norwegian Supreme Court ruled that, no, actually, this was legal. The ruling kind of, well, certainly undermines the anti-EU narrative and this resource nationalism that has been spreading uh, in Norway for the last couple of years. Where that leads, I'm not entirely sure. There are still political forces here that are very much pro-EU and pro-further integration, and there's a lot of people who also want to uh, keep the um, treasure of hydropower for Norway. So maybe the brakes have been pumped on the anti-Brussels narrative for now, but what about Norway's contribution to the wider energy transition? Remember that the EU's 2050 net zero objective says that Europe should be the first climate neutral continent, 
That presumably includes a non-member like Norway, right? So how does the Nordic nation fit into the grand scheme of things? How can it help? I put that question to Katzberg as well. well. Norway is certainly EU's major energy partner, and I think the importance of Norway has increased in the aftermath of the war in Ukraine. Now, since uh, Russia's exports to the EU have dropped um, in 2022, and Norway has suddenly become the most important uh, provider of natural gas. It's also a very important provider of uh, crude oil. And then there's this element which is perhaps not so obvious from the perspective of uh, the energy transition. It might be even more uh, important, and that's the fact that Norway is also trading electricity uh, with the EU. So Norway can provide uh, very clean hydro-based electricity. Uh, so there was this idea in the EU already for roughly 10, maybe even 15 years, that Norway is going to become this green battery of Europe. Uh, and in this sense, it's very, very important for European energy transition plans because you need backup. You need this flexibility that Norway can provide. Hardly any other country in Europe has the same capacity in terms of pumped storage hydro. So so, so in, for a system which is going to be based mostly on renewables, Norway is really crucial. However, the Norwegians don't necessarily see this that way. So uh, actually, I remember I, I moved from Germany to Norway some years ago, and I had this idea of the green battery very, you know, that was something that I, everybody around me was mentioning. And then I came to Norway and the Norwegians were like, no, no, I mean, this is not exactly what we have in mind. We want to use our electricity here because we want to have decarbonized steel, aluminum, chem chemical industry, and we don't necessarily want to sell it off. And this debate about whether Norway should be more integrated in the EU electricity market or not has been really prominent and quite controversial in Norway in the past years. Norway's a tricky partner then. Loads to offer its neighbours and allies when it comes to energy. But its inhabitants aren't philanthropists. The rest of Europe is going to have to offer something in return. Would Norwegians, see what I did there, sever energy ties with the EU to reclaim some idea of sovereignty? Doesn't seem particularly likely, but that particular political dynamic is likely to endure for quite some time yet. Thanks for joining me for today's Jolt. I'll be back on Friday with another edition. In the meantime, subscribers can check out the latest edition of the Policy Dispatch, which dives into what Brazil is doing to improve its climate credentials. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes at Foresight for helping to make the jolt possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt. Painting for the fjords? Painting for the fjords? What kind of toy?